Foster Care Nation. Listen up. This is Foster Care and on Parod Okay, Foster Care Nation. This week is going to be a little bit different. We're going to throw back one of our old ones. We're going to bring back our story. We haven't told that to a lot of people who might be new listeners, so we thought we'd bring that back. To be fair, I probably need to apologize because this one's coming out later in the day on Tuesday than it ever does, mostly because we're sick around our place. We're all sick and nasty and dealing with all this gross stuff going around, so we apologize for being a little bit late. But for those of you who are newer to our journey, this will give you a little bit of insight into who we are what we do and where we come from. And we'll try and get back on track for next week. Hope to see you then. Hello, and welcome back to Foster Care, an Unparalleled Journey. This is Jason. This is Amanda. And we are here in our noisy house this evening with our kids trying to make all kinds of noise and bother us while we try to record this to tell you guys just a little bit about ourselves. We're brand new to this podcasting thing, and we wanted to take you guys on our journey through foster care. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about ourselves and just tell you where we come from and who we are. Amanda and I have been married since 2006, but we've been together since, what was it, early 2000 or late 1999? Late 1999. There you go. I knew it was something like that. <laughs> a long time ago. We think we're getting old. Once upon a time. Isn't that how that story starts? I think it's supposed to start a long, long time ago. Amanda and I come from vastly different backgrounds. My dad was a police officer. My mom worked in the police department as the evidence custodian. We went to church three times a week, whether he needed it or not. We were almost raised in a cult. Well, some say it was a cult, but we were a really right-wing, very conservative Christian church that I grew up in. And as soon as I started asking questions when I got old enough to start wondering some things, I was pretty much just told to sit down, shut up, be quiet, and believe them because they were all right, and I didn't need to know why. So, when I was old enough to make my own decisions, I left. And then they came and hunted me down, gave me a letter and told me they were kicking me out. So my childhood was strange in a lot of ways. And one of the things that I noticed a lot was that the church we grew up in, while it was a very conservative, very right-wing church, very self-religious sort of a church or self-righteous, I guess you would say, they weren't very loving or caring or anything like that. We did very little to improve the community or the people around us. And as I grew older, that was one of the things that I really remembered looking back on the experience, that my personal journey involved a whole lot of rules and almost nothing that changed lives. Amanda, I think you came from um, the other side of the story. Yeah, I, I would say that, you know, while, while your parents were, you know, making a difference and being police officers and collecting evidence, well, they probably could have just collected my parents. I would have fit right in there with them. Um, not in a good way. Um, my dad, um, well, my biological father was uh, not very involved for a very long time. I, I didn't know that my stepdad was really my stepdad and not my biological dad. Um, and that's a whole nother story. 
Um, but my mom, um, she was always very, very self-involved doing her own thing. You know, kids were, were really just in her way. <laughs> um, she didn't do much, but she produced quite a few. Um, and it fell on me and I took care of kids. Um, you know, I was five years old when I had my first sibling. And that's when I started taking care of kids. And, uh, it just went, went from there. You know, my, my first foster was probably my brother <laughs> at the age of five. I learned how to change diapers and make bottles. You know, he came home from the hospital and most babies, they go in a crib and in a nursery or, or in the parents' bedroom. Well, not me, not my family. My, my little brother came home and he came to my room and he slept in my bed with me. And I've been taking care of kids ever since. That's a lot for a five-year-old. It is a lot for a five-year-old. You know, at first, it's kind of like having, you know, you have your own little live baby doll. But uh, you get real tired of that baby doll real quick when all it does is cry and you don't know what to do. So how do you think your childhood impacted your desire to foster kids? Well, um, you know, I I grew up a little different than most. You know, my uh, my parents weren't real involved. I had to be the parent, and it left me without parents. And that was something that, that I always wanted, something I always longed for, to, uh, to be the child and not the parent. And I, I wanted someone to step up for me and, and take care of me. And there were a couple people in my life that did that for me, but it, it was never very long and it was never very consistent. And a lot of times it, it was very self-motivated. And I just always wanted to help kids when I grew up. I didn't want there to be a child that felt the way that I did, that felt alone and unloved and abandoned and just not, not good enough. And that, that's where my real desire comes from is, you know, the way I grew up. I, kids should not have to feel that way. Parents should not make their children feel that way. And it's my goal to help as many kids as I can not feel that way. Kind of to be a mother to the motherless, if you will? Something like that. After being kicked out of the church that I grew up in, uh, I went off and joined the army because that seemed like the quickest, easiest way to get out of town and away from the people that I wanted to get away from. And when I came home from the army, um, the first job I found took me uh, into a nighttime driving shift locally, and I found that there was a nice little spot right down the road to stop and get coffee at 2 o'clock in the morning. And that's where I met Amanda. <laughs> that's where I was at 2 o'clock in the morning, working the night shift. <laughs> she was feeding me coffee and chocolate pie. Girls gotta do what a girl's gotta do. Well, if you want to get married, ladies, there's your answer. Chocolate pie. And coffee. Yeah, chocolate pie's better. But you need the coffee at 2 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I met Amanda, and, and um, she was a waitress at the little spot where I'd like to stop in the evening, and and uh, we started a relationship there, and before you knew it, we had uh, we moved on to a full-blown relationship pretty quickly. Um, Amanda had been married previously and had a little boy, and his dad had kind of chosen to disappear, and um, that's where I stepped in. And I met Amanda, and pretty quickly after that, we had our second kid together. 
And it wasn't too long after that that um, Amanda's sister, her young sister, who was only a year and a half older than our oldest son, came to stay with us. And she was our first unofficial foster kid, we'll say, because it would be more like a like a kinship placement if it was an actual placement, but it wasn't. Um, her mom just hadn't really changed her way. She was still stuck in party mode and had her addiction issues that she had to work through. And so Amanda's little sister came to stay with us. And so it was me and Amanda and Arissa and CJ and Austin were our three kids at the time. In our early 20s with three kids. Very early 20s. I look back now and I, I meet some of these people now who are 20 years old and I think, man, was I that much of an idiot? And the answer is yes. Yeah, we were. <laughs> and I don't know how my kids, you know, made it through dealing with me being 20-something and, you know, plenty stupid. But, you know, we we made it through. Now, you know, they, they've grown and survived the childhood we put them through. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's good they're not houseplants. They wouldn't have much of a shot. Kids <laughs> I can do. Houseplants, not so much. So we got a, we had moved out to the to the country, so to speak, into a place we bought from my grandma. And uh, we were just out there kind of living that country life and enjoying the peace and quiet of the country. Goats and chickens and ducks and you name it. Dogs and cats. Dogs, and cats, rabbits. Raccoons and possums. Pig. Yeah, there was that. (laughs) (laughs) You loved that pig, you know it. Yeah, we won't talk about that. (laughs) So we we went through that whole journey, and we kind of got to a point in life where I had gotten old enough and enough distance. I was kind of trying to to rewrite the way that I saw faith. And I was listening to the radio one day and heard, uh, I believe it was Dr. James Dobson on the radio program, Focus on the Family. I heard him give a statistic that something of the effect of one family out of every third church could adopt a kid from foster care and it would empty the system out tomorrow. And that really struck me that as much because we we were a, a fundamentalist church, so I'd read the Bible probably cover to cover more times than I could remember. And as many times as I saw a reference in there about taking care of widows and orphans, it struck me that how is the American church just letting that many kids sit in need? And that bothered me. And I remember sitting there listening to that, and I started to get kind of angry and frustrated at that that thought. And then I thought to myself, what are you doing? How can you be mad at them? You're, you're the same guy. And I know I had this, this wonderful wife at home who had this secret plan of having like a dozen kids. At least. And... When Austin, our our second oldest son, was born, she hemorrhaged real bad, and we had to end up doing some emergency surgery, and we couldn't have any more kids at that point. And that was devastating for me. That was a real devastating, trying time after having Austin, because that's that's what I wanted to be. That's who I was. That's how I, I placed value on myself, was being a mother, and I could no longer do that. You know, my body would not allow me to do that anymore. So it was a, it was kind of a trying time. You know, a lot of sadness and depression and, and anger. You know, and even back then, you know, I knew that was my calling, was to take care of kids, and, and that's what I wanted. You know, so we did, even back then, right after Austin, you know, we kind of joke, joked around a little bit 
about adoption. I don't think you realized how serious I was about it because it, it was almost, we joked about it, but it wasn't a joke to me. In retrospect, maybe <laughs> I should have taken a few cues. Oh, you know, that brick. Yeah. Just, I should have lobbed it a little harder, maybe. <laughs> There's a running joke between us that I had to explain to her a long, long time ago. You can't give me a hint. You have to write it, a note on a piece of paper and then wrap it around a brick and hit me in the head with it. I just don't take suggestions that well unless they're obvious. We had gotten kind of into that conversation a little bit. And at the time, I was writing an article for the local newspaper, and it was around the Christmas time when, when I was writing the article, and I was looking for some places for people to donate things to to something local, something that would help the people around us that I thought would really need it. And I went by the local children's division to talk to them to see if they could give me any ideas. And I left children's division with a... Uh, whole bunch of paperwork and pamphlets about foster care and adoption. I had heard a lot about the plight of the Chinese girls during China's one-child policy, and I knew that that was, that was a really sad story for a lot of those girls. And I looked into that and realized quickly that I didn't have an extra 20 or 30 grand to throw around, and that wasn't going to be an option for us. Yeah, so, so then again, it was kind of like, man, I, I still can't be a mom. We, we can't afford to adopt a child. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's too expensive. You know, you hear hear about all these kids that need to be adopted, but you you got to have the money to do it. And we didn't. We had three kids at home, one income, because I was a stay-at-home homeschool mom at that point. Yep. You know, and there was no way that we could afford adoption. And so then again, my heart kind of sank. Oh, yeah. And then, I you know, I really... Realize that that you know thirty thousand dollar price tag also involved taking a trip or two to China usually and a lot of stuff like that. It just it was outside of our ability to do it at the time. So when the foster care worker that I talked to looking for some resources for the newspaper article I was writing, when she sent me out with a bunch of stuff, I came home and we looked at it and we started talking and we kind of felt pulled in that direction. You know that really just felt like a a right move. It kind of felt. It, it brought me back home. You know, it brought me back to my childhood. Children don't come into care for no reason. You know, True. they come into care for many reasons. And a lot of those reasons are, are not great reasons. And that's a lot of what my childhood was. There's a lot of those reasons that kids come into care. That, that's what I grew up through. And so it just, all of a sudden it felt like, this is my place. I, I can do something here. This would make me happy. This this would give me a purpose. I, I could help kids. You know, I could do the things that I always felt like I wanted to do. I wanted to be there to help kids. And at the same time, you know, should something come up, we have the opportunity to be able to adopt. You know, so it was kind of like almost meant to be. It filled a need inside of me. It filled something that I didn't know how to go about filling. And here it was, you just, you brought home this notebook, you know, this, this folder full of papers. And it was like, <laughs> I don't think it made quite that sound <laughs> when we opened it, but no, I, I understand what you're saying there. It, it really sounds like it, it was, you know, the idea of that full circle coming back to where you came from in order to, uh, coming back to a place of a kid who needs some help and being able to be the one to provide that for him. 
So after that, we went through the training that we had to do here in Missouri. It's called the STARS training. And we went through the process, which isn't a terribly complicated process. It's just, it's usually fairly time consuming. Uh, yeah, from, some classes, some home inspections, a lot more paperwork, you know, kind of writing out your history, you know, a few things like that. But honestly, it, it's not anything that is that daunting. Anybody could fill out that folder. And from what we would had heard in the past, it could take a little bit of time to get all the classes lined up with schedules and, and be able to get into a class and everything. But it just seemed like everything fell into place because right after we had decided we would look into it, there was a class starting and it was a class that we could make work with our schedule and we did. We finished the classes and we did the home inspection, which is basically making sure that you meet minimum requirements, which is pretty minimal. That it is. They're not looking to see if you live in a mansion. They're making sure you, you're not living in a fire trap. When all the paperwork was done and we had completed our training, the worker at the time who was a licensing worker came out to our house and brought us our license when it was all said and done, all printed out. And she came by to drop it off and said, by the way, I have these two kids. And she said, they're, um, they're kind of rambunctious. Which one thing you need to know about foster care workers is code they, words. <laughs> they have code words. And normally they will say these are kids who would benefit from structure, which means they're rambunctious. When the worker says they're rambunctious, I'm not going to lie, that made me a little bit nervous. We, we agreed to, to do it, and it was just a short time later that we went and picked them up. They were actually in a, in a family placement that wasn't meeting all the requirements that they needed to for the training. And the little girl's birthday was coming up, and so they, they allowed them to have a birthday party before they brought them out of that out of that situation and into our home. It was about a two-year journey, I think, with yeah, them. Right at two, yeah, two years. About two years, because the, the state of Missouri has a rule that says if your children are in foster care for any 15 out of 22 rolling months... So that means if they're in and out, in and out, as long as it adds up to 15 out of any 22 consecutive months, the state will file for termination of parental rights. The obvious Just because they file it doesn't mean they get it, yeah. but they do file at that point. The first goal is reunification, if at all possible. But if that's not possible, then they, you know, they'll file that and there'll be a, a court hearing and the parental rights were terminated. Mom was locked up. Dad was deceased. The kids became available for adoption. That's where the the big surprise kind of came in, is that as much as we had been kind of felt like we had the wind taken out of our sails when we found out the high price tag on adopting a little girl from China in our state, if you adopt a child out of foster care that you fostered in your home, the state will pick up the tab for the legal paperwork and everything for the adoption. And so for us, if I remember right... We had to front a couple filing fees. It wasn't a whole lot, but the state reimbursed those after it was all said and done. Yeah, we had to take an adoption class at that point. We had to take our yep. Spalding class. You know, but it it wasn't anything that we could not achieve. You know, and at, at the end of the day, our first placements became our first adoptions. It was one of those things that <laughs> we looked back on and went, huh, we thought we knew what we were doing and... Turns out we kind of just stepped right into exactly what we thought we needed, only in a different way. Yeah. There was a plan, and it wasn't the way we had seen the plan. It wasn't necessarily how we thought the plan was going to play out. 
Um, but it, in the end, it, it all worked out. It's amazing how that works sometimes. <laughs> After that, you know, we went on to foster a whole bunch of other kids, and a couple more kids ended up being adopted. And, and uh, yeah. you know, we can talk about all those at a later time, but that's kind of who we are and how our, our journey walking into foster care, how, how it started, because I think everybody comes at it from a different angle. Yeah, everybody, I think there's lots of different reasons for people to foster, too. I think you're right. You know, there's some people do it out of, out of you know, a desire to help people that because they weren't helped. Some people might do it because they grew up in a foster home and their parents fostered kids and they wanted to, to continue it. Some people may do it kind of from my background where you go, hey, how come nobody else is doing this? You know, this is this is something that needs to be done. And even the churches, it seemed, weren't stepping up, at least from my viewpoint. The churches weren't stepping up in our area at the time. And, you know, everybody's got their reason. Oh, yeah. You've got the mothers who can't have children. You know, and just because because you can't grow a baby in your belly doesn't mean you can't have a baby. You know, babies, babies come into your lives and children come into your lives all different ways. And I have so many kids that aren't even ones that we fostered that, Call us mom and dad. Yeah, that you know, we it's just a, it's a role, you know, and I I think it's a role that we were meant to do. Yeah, I mean, we've our our oldest son has gone off to the army, finished his time in the army, got married, and we still have some of his high school friends who will stop by from time to time and show up and say, "Hey, mom. Hey, dad. What's going on?" In fact, one just asked me to be godmom. Yeah, now that's <laughs> that's when you start to feel old is when the the kids high school friends are are starting to have babies oh yeah but i ain't that old you're the one who's old i am old (laughs) older than me (laughs) i'll take it the alternative (laughs) is kind of grim there you go guys there's our story and um we'll be back with another another story of something we've learned or a story about a kid's life or something coming up But I appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to our story. And if you would like to get a hold of us, feel free to email me at jason at shecalledmedaddy.com or check out the website, the shecalledmedaddy.com or the Facebook page by the same name. 